Hi, this is Sensei James Leonelli from Sensei's Weekly Mindset, and I'm here to talk to you about BetOnline.net. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball, soccer, and esports. Don't forget my personal favorite, MMA. We've got it all on BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, we can help you find those on BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. And don't forget Bet Online for NHL, boxing, golf, and like I said, my personal favorite, the sport of MMA. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, where the game starts. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Life isn't always easy, and you don't have to face it alone. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you have access to a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of needs. To get started, you simply answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's most convenient for you. The best part is, if your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price, all from the comfort at home. To start your journey and to get 10% off of your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash sensei. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash sensei. BetterHelp, you deserve to be happy. Hi guys, Sensei James Leonelli here to talk to you about another one of our sponsors, LMNT, an electrolyte drink mix. Each one of these little packets gives you exactly what you need to keep you as hydrated as all us athletes like to be. If you're like me, you work out a lot, and when you work out a lot, you also sweat a lot. Now, when we sweat, we don't lose just water, of course. We also sweat out salt. We sweat out electrolytes. So each one of these packets contains 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium, giving you everything that you need in order to maintain optimal hydration and nothing that you don't. So to go online, place an order for your sample pack, and to get yourself a bonus free sample pack, you're going to go to this website right here, elementallabs.refr.cc slash James Leonelli. You're going to see this down in the video below, but I'll say it one more time for you, elementallabs.refr.cc slash James Leonelli. Again, it's a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing that you don't. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sensei's Weekly Mindset. I'm Sensei James Leonelli, owner and head instructor of Tiger Shulman's here in Smithtown. As per usual, I'm wearing a little bit more of the Everyday We Train line, available on tigear.com. As you can see to, uh, on the other side of the screen here, I am joined by my fellow commentator for Flex Fights, one of the best play-by-play -play in the game, pro boxer now, Ben the Bane Davis. 
Ben, <laughs> how are we feeling today? I'm fantastic, James. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Of course. You know, it's something a long time coming for sure. Uh, you busted my chops on Saturday a little bit about having not been a guest yet. <laughs> and I told you I was going to invite you at the end of the day, but you kind of beat me there. But nonetheless, here we are. Uh, and I think no better person to talk about uh, the shadow of Flex Fights 28, uh, night, of the, night of the Fighting Dead, uh, with then the person who I sat next to for nine hours talking about every single fight that we had. So... <laughs> It was we in terms of consistency, we were the staples that night. There was some uh, ins and outs from other other people. Um, but you and I, we held down the fort the whole time. <laughs> Absolutely. We were joined by the pro card for the pro card by Dave Del Rocca, who's a veteran of the Flex Fights announced team. Um, you know, he, he's usually around for the main card. Pro card had some family commitments, so he couldn't stay for the whole thing. Um, but nonetheless, he's very he's, he's a great technical mind when it comes to martial arts as well. Um and even some some other changeups in, in the staff and so forth, uh, but all in all, I think a great night of fights as as it usually is. Uh, this is the second card in a row where we did something kind of unique in, in terms of we did prelims, a main card, and post limbs. Now, this is, was your first experience with that with, with that aspect of flex fights. How did you feel doing the, the pre, the the main, and the post? You know, candidly, it's a lot. It's always a lot with with flex. We really try to pack the cards and and create a really good atmosphere in the building. And by virtue of that, it extends to 9, 10, 11 hour broadcasts. I think when I've seen post slims done the best, it's when you have like a max of maybe three fights that you just couldn't, you know, on the chopping block, they just couldn't make that prelims and main card spot. But we're still, uh, you know, a part of the, the, the event itself. So I don't know. I think with I think we had nine or ten. I believe nine. Yeah. It did. I mean, boy. That was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, because at that point, you and I are 19 fights deep. Exactly. Uh, yeah. We're 19 um, fights deep. We're 19 breakdowns deep. Uh, we're, what is, what is that? Uh, 38 fighter profiles deep. Um, so it, it certainly is quite a bit by the end of the night. But we did still, I think on the, on the post limbs, we had some really good fights too. We did, you know, especially we had some guys that uh, still had a big fan base in the building. I remember, I think the second to last fight you had cash jonah carpio and he had to have had at least what 120 people there for him that were representing you know, i think he was a lima representative and mm. um i was stunned i was like it's half past midnight and we've still got a good crowd here for jonah um <laughs> yeah. so you know proofs in the pudding on, on how the postums work absolutely because you know one of the things that, that we experience in local MMA or in local fights and regional fights all the time is it's not like buying a ticket to the UFC or the PFL or one of the big name shows like that, where you show up for the first fight. And even though you're kind of there to watch the main event of the evening, you're there to watch, you, you show up to watch all the fights. These are typically the fans, the fam, family, the training partners of the fighters. So typically they'll watch their training partner and then leave. But yeah. so what's happened in the past for us is we've had main events that were spectacular fights where there's just the fans of those two fighters left, and it kind of stinks. We, we had that experience last time we were in Queens, actually, in Melrose Ballroom. We had Melissa Static Balak versus Italo Sarko, which is a, an epic fight, in my opinion. And uh, it, it unfortunately, just by the nature of the card and where we had other fighters placed and stuff, a lot of the crowd was gone already. It's kind of like a vacuum of energy, despite the spectacular performance those ladies put on. Let's jump back into this class Saturday. Yeah. Um. Repeat that one. I said, let's jump back into into this past Saturday. For sure. 
on yeah. uh, which the flex card of 294. <laughs> uh, I'll stay, we'll stay on flex and then we'll, we'll hit 294 because obviously I know you've got some opinions there. We were able to, before the card, sneak in some watching and so forth here and there. <laughs> so obviously the preliminary card, we had a, a great bunch of fights. One that stood out in my mind from the second I saw it written on paper and the second that I heard about it was, uh, you know exactly what I'm going to say, Sergio Rivera, Darren Lamantia, two guys who have been a staple of the 125 weight class and flex. The fight came together on reasonably short notice, so they wound up fighting at 130 pounds. Um, and I don't know about you, but to me, that fight absolutely lived up to the hype. I, I agree as well. You know, both guys brought their A game, and it was really cool to see Darren experience the challenge of what Sergio Rivera is. He's a veteran. He's had a decade of experience between training and competing. And um, I just, I mean, the 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 way that those guys clicked in the cage and how it was a really even chess match until it wasn't. Um, and and the pathway to victory for Sergio, he told us he wanted the arm triangle. Granted, came in a, a, a round late, but the entire fight, he was trying to get to that position, trying to get to that position. And the moment that he locked it in, it was checkmate. It was game over. And I think like that's the beauty of of mixed martial arts is I've got my plan. You've got yours. Let's see, you know, what's best. But for us in the booth, it was a real cool challenge because, um, you know, and I, I, I'm sure both on the same page with this as well. I really like both guys. You know, I've we've called Darren's fights. We've called Sergio's fights. I've talked with them outside of uh, the cage and training. And like there's they're just really salty the other people. And so, um, you know, as a broadcaster, I, I get this question sometimes of like, oh, how are you able to like stay neutral? Um, you know, how do you not have bias? You know, these guys, you've hung out with these guys, you've DM'd with them a ton. Um, and, and for me, what really was a bit enlightening on Saturday night was because um, I've had this I've had this happen before. But in this scenario, you just bring your best to both, you know, that my passion for the matchup and the fight is much more inflated and, and fiery. And I'm calling Sergio's moments the best. I'm calling Darren's the best. I'm I'm more hyped about this because I've got a connection to each guy. And is it a bummer to see one of them lose? I mean, sure. But like, again, as a broadcaster, it's neutrality. And I'm just in that moment, you're just so wow, what a great win, you know, and I don't know. It's It's an interesting one. I like both guys. It was fun to call the fight. Yeah, like I said, I, I said it in the build-up to the fight on the broadcast. I said it to you at the weigh-ins the day before. No matter who won, no matter who got their hand raised that day, we were going to win that fight because we got to watch it from the best seats in the house. And it, that the fight lived up to, to the hype for me. Um, and, man, I, I think both guys walk away with their stock raised because – Sergio, yeah, he may not have the greatest record in MMA. I think that that win brings him to four and six or, some, or something mm -hmm. to that, that, that effect. But also eight kickboxing matches in his background as well, six and two in kickboxing. So you look at how experienced he is. And Darren only, this was Darren's fifth fight and only MMA experience. So you see the caliber of opponent that Darren was coming into in his fifth fight. And I, I think he showed that he belongs in there with fighters of the caliber of Sergio Rivera. He absolutely did. Yeah. Sergio himself said after the fight, he was like, Darren, um, he was like, I blocked one of those body kicks and it shut down my arm, you know, for a round. So like that proves what is inside Darren Lamentia. And, um, you know, I think with the thing with Sergio that, that I've always tried to maintain is like those six uh, losses that he has, they're just not reflective. Three of them came in 2019. Those were his first three fights. He went 0-3. Um, obviously there was something wrong with, with the training or the team that he was with or whatever the preparation looked like. Like, I'm like, you know, yeah, first three at bats, you strike out, but maybe at that point in time, it was uh, a part-time thing or you're fighting guys way too above 
what you should be. You know what I mean? The matchmaking, who knows, right? So I've always looked at his record and I've just almost subtracted those three losses because I'm like, they're irrelevant. We know how good he is. At that point in time, that's not the surgery that we we know now. <laughs> Absolutely. And then the the energies continued through the, the preliminary card. Again, just a, a whole bunch of really, really good fights in the preliminary card. Any other thing, any other fights in the preliminary card that, that jumped off the page to you uh, as we think back about the fight card? Anything else that you were like, oh, yeah, we got to talk about that one? Kamal Dunkley dropping the decision to Chuck Thoreau. Um, you know, we, we really love Kamal Dunkley, and uh, I was so impressed by his finish over Naquan Calderon. Five seconds. Uh, his last time out. Now he gets a real tough task in Chuck Thoreau, who, um, you know, presented a lot of problems and challenges. You know, it was, again, another another battle of positioning. And Kamal, you could tell, wanted to follow up that electrifying quick knockout. But Chuck's just too good. And so I think the academic lesson here for Kamal is like, OK, I have to mix it up a little bit more. I have to have a little bit more diversity. I can't be looking for the heat-seeking missile. I got to focus on the the constructing of that launch in the first place. I can't just focus on the launch. I got to build up to it. Um, and it was a close fight. And again, I, if the judges gave it to Kamal, genuinely, I would be like, all right, fair. I could see their thinking on that. But it was, um, yeah, it was, it was, that's the, the ebb and flow of amateur mixed martial arts and amateur combat sports in general. You have wins, you have losses. We know Kamal Dunkley's talented. I think he has a bright future. Does that mean he's going to win every time? Mm -hmm. No. And that's okay. Yeah, and it was one of those fights where like, uh, we were talking about it in, during the broadcast, I believe, about just how close the fight was and how we did not envy the judges because it was one of those fights. I mean, Kamal was pretty upset after this, the decision, and most fighters who lose a decision that's closely contested are. Um, but you know, I think when he watches it back, he'll see where maybe he left things a little closer than, than, than he should have if he really wanted to felt like he sealed the deal. And, and then we did have a couple other like super talented guys that we watched run into some buzzsaw. The one that comes to mind is, is Edwin Jung uh, at a law MMA. Um, very talented young man. And last time out, came out on the side of a decision that he was not a fan of. He thought the judges got it wrong. You and I in broadcast could see how the judges got it the way that they got it. Um, but he ran into an absolute buzzsaw in, in Louis Salomon. Like not not even a question of what Edwin did wrong. It was just more a question of everything that Louis did right. Because he, from the second he got his hands on, on Edwin, it was just one good decision after another after another. And there's another guy who, who's starting his career 0-3 in Edwin Jung, but we just know how talented that guy is because now we're on the other side of the wins over Tommy Cox, or the loss to Tommy Cox, I should say. Or, and then how good Louis Salmon looks. In the rear view, that loss to Tommy Cox doesn't look as bad because we see how good Tommy Cox is now. Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling we're going to feel similar about this loss to, to Louis Salomon. You know, not so much that it looks so bad on Edwin Jug, more just how good Louis Salomon is. And, and I think that presents for, you know, the matchmaking for a guy like Edwin Jung moving forward. Okay, we got to be a bit more conscientious here. Clearly, he has a deficit within the grappling and the jujitsu. Let's stop putting him up against guys that really excel in those areas, you know. Give him the opportunity to get comfortable in the cage and, and uh, showcase his striking that we know he has. He's shown glimpses of it, dropping Tommy Cox in the way he did. Um, we know it's there. It's just I think stylistically he's he's been given a tough couple assignments. Um, and so if I was going to be booking Edwin Jung anytime soon, I'm saying, listen, it's a guy that has no grappling. It's a guy that's not going to wrestle. Let's put Jung striker on striker and um, give him time to develop those grappling skills all the while. Like, hopefully, yeah, you know, he's constantly working on it. He knows the areas he needs to fix. And the only way to real prove that is in live competition. But he's been subbed in the first round out of his 
three losses twice. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, we got to, I don't want to see a guy like Edwin Jung be discouraged and give it up because he's like, I'm on three. This isn't meant for me. I'm like, you do have a future. There's just a lot of factors that, that can work against you. Yeah. I also wouldn't hate seeing him in a couple of kickboxing bouts, get him a couple right. of kickboxing bouts, get, you know, get, get some of like the cage time in that he needs, get him feeling comfortable in his shoes in there a little bit. Um, and then go back to, to the world of MMA once he just feels that much more confident in the ring. Because there's something to be said about the psychological aspect of, you know, the the cage door being shut behind you. And when the, the pressure's on, still being able to make our best decisions. Because, again, we, we both think he's a super talented guy. He had great moments in every one of his fights. Um, and we just think, that, again, these three losses I don't think are reflective of how good he is. And it's mm-hmm. it's a confidence thing as well, you know. Like, um, it, it's harder to make that walk when you've lost every single time. Yeah, it's harder to it's harder to view yourself as unbeatable and have this confidence that you know I'm going to take anyone out tonight when you've been unable to do that every time you've gone up there. Like I I completely think it's more of a mental game than a physical one because all these guys are just physically gifted. They're hard workers. They're in the gym. Their bodies are um, you know conditioned to be weapons. But it's between the ears that I think really separates people. And a guy like Evan Jung, exactly. Let's give him some kickboxing. Let's get him back up upstairs um in in the right frame of mind before we have him go in, in mixed martial arts again yeah what's the old baseball expression half of this game is 90 percent mental <laughs> yeah yeah i think we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on the absolute fantastic submission by elias aminoff that beautiful triangle over pat Connolly. yes yeah i mean god it, it's you know we talked about a lot of bjj practitioners saturday night and um elias was probably one of the better ones you don't especially like over a guy like pat who is as tough as um you know he's his frame he's got a big frame he's a big kid and to put him out you know something like that it's impressive exactly because we've seen pat Connolly before and he's a tough tough kid i saw him you know on continue to fight back on wobbly legs and only a second fight um and again this is this being pat's sixth fight you know you, you don't have six fights unless you're a pretty tough dude and again big for the weight class big and strong and uh, Elias just made it look he made it look easy even though we know it's not which is a beautiful what was Cerboni? was Cerboni on the prelims or was he on the main card I believe he, he was on the uh you know I'm gonna look it up now because it's bothering me he that was, that's another performance on Saturday that I think is, is noteworthy Absolutely. um because we're, we're talking about confidence that guy is just exuding um yep. he, swag. He, he was on the he was on the prelims Prelims, yeah, geez, I, I'm excited to see where he goes. I was impressed by him a lot, and I think that there's, you know, there, there's obviously areas of improvement, but like he pitched a near shutout on Saturday. Exactly, and again, this was his first fight. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're like, dude. <laughs> yeah, first fight just came out with such unbelievable confidence. And then, speaking of, of confidence, we can start making our way to the to the main card where we're talking about the pro fights. Um, a little bit of disappointment for us only in that we did not get the opportunity to call some of the fighters that we were looking forward to call uh one fighter not making weight uh, obviously yeah. n- never something you can feel good about uh, when you're the opponent or when you're the guy who missed weight um but don't want to pour on him too much he feels bad already um there are some things I, mean, I don't know if you've been on social media on his social media but he has some things to say about what he thought about the matchup and how he thought it was going to be so easy Yet he still showed up 14 pounds overweight. Um, 
But yeah. again, don't want to pile on him too, too much. And then we lost Freddie Vidal's fight the day of as his opponent did not pass medicals day of. Which... I'm, again, I mean, I was fine with that fight not materializing. Freddie needs a better opponent. No disrespect to Dan, of course, but um, Dan's 0-6 as a pro, and he's been stopped in like every single of those fights. Freddie has finished the majority of his five five and zero amateur career. That's a matchup where you know I look at it and I go, this is something that just reflects poorly on everybody. Why are we doing this? We can definitely find a better opponent that's evenly matched that'll give Freddie um, more of a challenge. Nobody wins if that fight happens. Nobody wins. It, it, it's not a win for Freddie. It's expected for Dan and. I would just say, like, when you extend and look at the forest of the trees, it's like, why the fuck did we put this together? It's wasting everyone's time. And again, Dan's drinking at the weigh-ins. I'm like, clearly he doesn't fucking care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, this is, God, I mean, I'm, I'll am i be outspoken on this one. Um, but, yeah, I, I was just really frustrated by the fact that that almost came to fruition. I was happy that it didn't occur. Yeah, the, the fight gods were on your side for that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but then uh, since we were talking about confidence moments ago, talking about two guys who were supremely confident, Ray Ceballos and Tyler Demon Boy McNett, uh, talk about just big personalities walking into the cage, man. Wow. Uh, I mean, Tyler is a, a good fighter, you know, and he's he was the Florida uh, middleweight champion, I believe, and had a good resume and just was not able to do a single thing against Raymond. And we talked to me, Dave, Dave knows Raymond really well. And um, it was great to hear in the booth, some of that experience that he has. And uh, Spy was competing for, for years and years and years. That's displayed in the octagon. That was displayed in the control. That was displayed in the, the lack of risks that yeah. he was taking, the lack of areas of improvement. I mean, he looked, he looked sound. He looked complete. And Tyler had nothing for him. Yeah, and it's not even a reflection on Tyler. It's just simply a reflection on how good yeah. Ray Ceballos looked. Uh, we, we had our women's fight between uh, Jessica Ruiz and Chrissy Yandoli. That was another really good fight. You know, Chrissy, yeah. she's another guy, another person, a fantastic kickboxer. Um, absolutely fantastic kickboxer. And for just for whatever reason, putting those four-ounce gloves on her has, has been her kryptonite. Um, and, and it's... Who, know, who knows exactly what it is? Because she had a, a mainly striking battle with Jessica Ruiz. And for, for whatever reason, it just, it just wasn't her night. Uh, you know, great pressure and great game plan by Jessica Ruiz. So it was a good fight for both ladies. I think, I, I, you know, I, I, lo I look forward to seeing them both back in our cage for sure. And what's crazy about Ruiz is that she was 0-3 heading into that. But she looked really solid. I mean, the movement, the keeping her head off the center lines, the entries, the blitzing. Um, it was it was high level. And again, I mean, you looked at that 0-3 and, and it's not really reflective. She had two fights in Bellator um, and then one fight at Combate Global, I believe, most recently. So she is she's fighting in these big promotions, you know, and you could lose there. And then when you take a step down, you look pretty damn good. And yeah, to your point, Chrissy's excellent at kickboxing. And, um, you know, she's she's really excelled. She was an ISKA champion. She was a former flex champion as well so again we know how good she is i think on saturday it was a matter of pulling the trigger you know yeah. i don't want to say maybe a comfort thing but like that range i'm like this is your range you're the taller lengthier fighter in there you got to pull the trigger um and maybe even take some risks especially when you're down oh and two take some risks that's and that's not even a chrissy specific thing that's everybody i mean if you're a fighter and you're like i've got three minutes uh, to get my hand raised or not, and I'm definitely not winning a decision. 
fuck it. We ball, yeah. you know, for yeah. lack of uh, apologies for the cursing. But you got to put the pedal to the metal. I mean, it's it's a uh, it's a fight. And uh, are you there to win or not? And, and, and for that, it's, you know. Yeah, I get it. it's one of those things. It's, it's for the audience. It's so easy to be like, yeah, just go, just go, just go. But now that you've been in there, you understand just as much as I do that standing there in those moments, as much as you might know that you're still like, it's, it's getting the brain to will the body. That's a, that's it's a whole easier said than done. It is way, way easier said than done. But it's one of those traits where if I can, if you can see it on the regional scene, if you can see amateurs develop that, um, my God, they're going to be problems as a professional. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. one of those things where like, if, if, if you can see glimpses of it now, then you can work on that in the gym and, and uh, improve upon it. And it, it's just going to make you far more dangerous. And, you know, again, with Chris's experience, you know, she's been training and competing for, what, 20 years? Something like that, yeah. It's you like know? 20 years training, 12 years with Lima. Yeah, yeah. I, so it's like she has all the tools. Um, and I think that Ruiz was a good matchup for her. Uh, someone that's not going to grapple, someone that's not going to throw her uh, on the canvas. So I don't know. I mean, I mean, we'll see. Probably, probably a myriad of things, but it was still a good performance. I mean, hey, exactly. Make scorecards. Yeah, you know, it's she's not the only fighter we felt that that evening. Just had that night that every fighter has every now and again, where they make the walk, they get in the cage, and their body's there, but their brain just isn't. You know, like every every fighter experiences that when they have multiple fights, where just sometimes it's just not their day. Like they're just no matter their best effort, they just don't get into fight mode. And, you know, sometimes they're lucky yeah. and they can skate out, they can skate out without much damage and just lose a decision. Other times the results are more catastrophic. And thankfully for Chrissy, she only wound up losing a decision. And then on the flip side of that coin, same event, of course, James, the Crusader, Callisto, uh, exactly I would say I of. example, but it, it, in the more negative regard where, that kid shouldn't have gone out there for round number three. I mean, he was not in the building after that that end of the second round. And I don't know. I mean, who knows? Maybe he was receptive in the corner. You know, we don't have uh, audio from the corners, which is something I hope that uh, is added because that'd be really beneficial. But maybe he was receptive. Maybe he was like, no, I'm, I'm seeing it. I'm just having a hard time, you know, getting out of the way or something. Who knows? Uh, what what the corner saw that allowed them to want him to go out for the second or third round. But yeah, it was not his night. Yeah, exactly. Again, and another kid we think is super talented. We've seen how talented this kid is. And just, it, we could tell from the walkout, it just, something wasn't firing 100% that night. And every fighter has that night. And it just happened to be that for his. And he ran into an absolutely great opponent in, in terms of George Lubadazi. Uh, but then our co-main event of the evening, we had Rocco Giambrone in, in the upset of the night, in my opinion, uh, against uh, KB, uh, Kobe Bowen. Kobe making making his moment, uh, sneaking a little frame in while, while getting really wrestled well by Rocco, sneaking in the knee that led to the finish. Uh, just a beautiful performance from Kobe Bowen. He's, again, one of those guys who, again, I don't think his his resume is, is uh, as reflective of, of how skilled he is. You know, the O and two in MMA doesn't talk about how good Kobe Bowen really is. No, no, for sure. And you know, I think that um, the big defining thing for me about Kobe Bowen was the composure. You know, even with Rocco really locked around him and controlling him and grappling, you di you didn't see Kobe panicking. You didn't see him um, expending a lot of energy to to create separation or. Um, you know, make any mistakes. He was just biding his time. He was comfortable. And then, yeah, framed, boom, 
there's the knee and, and that was it. And I know the, 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 uh, Azamura, what is it? Amazura. Amazura. <laughs> Still have no clue. Um, <laughs> I know that that entire venue center was, was wanting Rocco to win. And, uh, sometimes just doesn't come up your way, you know, KB Kobe Bowen from Barbados, uh, getting it done. And, and, uh, as I mean, as a, as a broadcaster, like that, those types of upsets, I'm not saying you live for them, but boy, don't they make incredible moments uh, that are that are really special for the call. So, um, yeah, I mean, good, good for KB. And, you know, he comes from a, a team that historically doesn't have much success in flex. And so that also adds to the yeah, <laughs> to the X factor of when those guys do get a win. You're like, oh, my God, they did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then speaking of success, uh, our first ever lightweight pro title uh Won by Adam the Bomb Livingston over Ninja Clint Patterson. That was, that was a really good fight. Uh, a great test for a young kid like, like Adam Livingston. Uh, again, you know, Clint being 1-0 as a pro doesn't really speak to how experienced or how good he is. You know, he's got so much amateur experience. And, you know, it, it, was, it, was, a t- it was definitely a test for Adam. Definitely a test for Adam. Yeah. Clint being 10 and five as an amateur, he's had nothing but championship fights since like 2017. And granted the activity has never, I think been Clint's strong suit. There's a lot outside the cage and training um, that, that takes his attention, which is natural for a 39 year old. I mean, he's not at a point in his career where, you know, he's going to be trying to get to the UFCs and trying to get these, um, you know, big promotions interested, but he is such a gamer that when he's in there with anybody, yeah, he's a big test. He's a problem and you can crack him, but he's going to get back up and um adam livingston had a a a real amazing showing i think a lot better than maybe even some people give him credit for and one thing that i mentioned in the booth is that like he never got overzealous trying to finish clint he let it come naturally he was so composed in there he was patient selected the shots perfectly like i was i was really blown away at his age 22 uh now four and i was a pro picking up a pro title uh, I'd love to see him head back to Fight Pass and just start bouncing around those Fight Pass promotions. Maybe another CFFC, some LFA experience. Um, I'm not saying rush the kid. You know, I know he wants a contender series shot. I think that that might be a little too much too soon. You yeah. know, maybe let's get to let's get to nine and zero, ten and zero, and then knock on that door. You're 22 years young. You know, you don't. The, the worst thing that you see is guys get to the UFC too early, and yeah. then there's nowhere for them to go. Right. You, you get to there. There's only one way and it's down. Um, and getting back to the UFC is a hell of a lot harder than getting it the first time. So I think for him, it'd be great to just collect some more some more belts, bring home some more hardware, become a, a, a real staple on UFC Fight Pass. And then when the call comes, that's when it makes sense. Absolutely. Then we got into our, our post preliminary card, uh, starting with our kickboxing title fight. That was uh, that, that was an epic battle between two heavyweights. But I think I, yeah. <laughs> chocolate thunder, one of the best nicknames of the night. James. Absolutely. Absolutely. Th- though I have to imagine our favorite performance on the post limbs. Sure. I might be partial and say Nick Ortiz, George Cortez, George Cortez being a teammate of mine. You're going to say Gabby. I'm going to say Gabby, Gabby Jarrett, <laughs> because that girl, man, she, ha- uh, you, you put it well. She has, she has all the makings of a star. She can fight. She's got the look. She's got the entertainment. Uh, and she fought a pretty tough opponent, like, like talking to her opponent, talking about her training, coming out of a, a, a great camp was her opponent, uh, Lanissa Ramadan, uh, Ramadan, excuse me. Um, and Gabby just came out like she was shot out of a cannon 
and like 30 some odd seconds later the fight's over and gabby is like trying to fight the referee and her own coach and she's like i want more i want more and we go from that to two and a half minutes later after her hands been raised she's dancing with the ring card girls she's having the time of her life and it was like wow this girl's got star written all over i looked at we both said to tj on the close of the show can we have her on every fight card because she was super entertaining super skilled super super tough i you know i i'm almost out of superlatives for the girl yeah i i i uh oh boy what can i say what should i say uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's incredible you know she's uh she's fantastic i think like especially with a finish like that she is um position to have at least another fight in 2023 i don't know exactly the uh timeline that she would prefer i know the november 17th or 18th card uh there's a flex one i'm not sure what the december date looks like but i mean if she wants to ninth yeah if she wants to get back in there i think she should um you know especially if it is still kickboxing again you know really work the hands and a little bit lesser risk than um having your arm snapped in a submission right so i think if she wants to get back in there that'd be great to see i uh i'm a big fan and i will uh, on the record we'll keep it at that <laughs> yeah. yeah um and then obviously we have my teammate george cortez in a very tough fight with uh with nick ortiz both gentlemen flex veterans both coming in one and one and i, I was telling you beforehand that i thought that was kind of like a sleeper on the preliminary card because both guys fought so similarly such good pressure fighters and I think the tale of that store of that fight was the kicks of George followed by his hands versus the hands of Nick. And um, I, I feel like it was one of those fights that similar to what we were talking about with Kamal Dunkley earlier. I feel like if the decision had gone either way, I don't think either side would really have had too much to complain about. Um, obviously, the tiger someone's faithful uh, looked at me a little <laughs> bit like you thought George won, right? And of course, I'm always going to lean a little bit to that. You know, we talked about not being biased before. It's kind of hard not to be biased for the people you train with. But nonetheless, um, you know, I thought it was a very, very, very close fight. And I could, I could, would have, I understood it going to Nick, but I also could have seen it going to, to George, in my opinion. Um, yes, same. I mean, it's split down the middle because i think both guys were using different tools you know so it really it really boiled down to the optics nick's boxing was really crisp and i loved uh the combination striking I mean, he was chaining a lot of punches together which led to a lot of success but like you mentioned cortez um with the legs and the kicks like i was very impressed uh by by that usage of those weapons so um yeah i don't know i mean i i i really am pumped to see what both guys take away from that performance and how they get better from it you know that's that's one where like i'm not gonna sit on the result here i'm gonna wait until the next one because i think that that both guys had such excellent showings that they can only improve um and who knows maybe we see that that one ran back i'm not saying that we've got a small pool of athletes to work with but we slap a title in front of those guys and let them go at it again for two more rounds you won't hear me complaining Absolutely. It was one of those, I believe I said to you, even on the broadcast, I feel like if those guys fought 10 times, it would go five and five. Yeah. 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 All right. Any other fights that jumped out to you throughout the fight card? Man, I'll say this. I mean, I have such a, a brain dump uh, whenever I do shows that I cannot recall too many specifics um, just off the top. Um, there was, I guess there was one fight, you know, kind of, continuing the thread of the Kobe Bowen, you know, my guy, Travis Bullock, uh, the last dragon again, steps in there. We were talking about how this was a good move 
the kickboxing. You know, we're eliminating, again, one of the bigger deficiencies that Travis has faced in flex, which is the grappling, which is when guys get him down. He's historically had problems getting back up or dealing with maybe the submission and ground and pound. So throwing him to kickboxing, I was like, finally. Now, here's what I heard during fight week that I was like, this is concerning. He was complaining a lot about his wrist, his right wrist. He said that he uh, like fell down on it and was just experiencing a lot of sharp pain. Then he was telling me how, um, I mean, he walked, it was the day before the fights. He walked into my room at midnight and was talking about this, how there was like a car crash or something. He was punching a window, trying to bust it open. And he was like, that's how I hurt my other hand. So I'm laying in bed and I'm hearing this a day before his fight. And I'm like, dude, I don't know if you should fight. Like, you're telling me that you have two arms that are both very injured. And I heard him on the phone, I think, with, um, you know, the promoter Machi or, or, or somebody else. And again, he was like, I want to fight. I want to fight. And I just, you got you got to prioritize your health, man. You got to prioritize your health. I understand wanting to compete. But if you're going in there severely damaged, like Travis was, we're going to see exactly what happened. You know, you, you saw he was favoring that right arm instantly and the second that he got cracked with it those kicks he he wasn't able to handle it he wasn't able to fight through which is natural nobody would you're going in there with some some problems uh so with travis it's the same thought that we had last time it's please get to a gym get a a, a crew around you that can uh really lead you and guide you in a smart manner and uh i want to see him i want to see him succeed he's a nice guy and it's getting hard to watch him go in there every two months and lose yeah and like and, i i don't think it's responsible what that comes down to in my opinion as someone who does what i do for a living is he does not have a coach he does not have a mentor he does not have that one person who is guiding his ship for him and saying okay we're going to make smart decisions or we're not going to and, and the um the fight that jumps out to me i believe it was anthony pettis versus tony ferguson if i remember my my, my mma correctly where Anthony is saying to Duke Rufus in the corner, I'm pretty sure I broke my right hand. And Duke Rufus says, well, I'm not going to send you out there with all the tools, so I'm stopping the fight. And I don't feel like Travis has that person in his, in his circle. And a man who fights for such a noble reason to, you know, for his son to try to improve his life and this and that, he's always going to go beyond what he should. And he, do, he needs that person to hold him by the shoulder like, no, Travis, this, this, is not, this is not the opportunity. This is not the day. There's too many things wrong bow out, come back in a month, you know, yeah. and I, I feel like he could really benefit from finding someone like that. Cause athletic guy, you know, he always comes in the cage with a backflip or some kind of craziness like that. Yeah. So I, and I'd love to be able to see him to be able to perform to his fullest potential, but he needs a good coach to do that. Cause it, he represents as all the fighters did that evening, what I wanted to, to kind of finalize our thoughts on this evening, this afternoon, I should say, and that would be hard work how much hard work pays off because one thing that you and i are very simpatico on is our preparation and how much work we put in to doing everything you and i share a philosophy in that whatever we're, we're going to do we're going to do to the best of our ability we don't really know how to phone it in or do less than our best it looked like they had a thought there and i'm going to let you run with it go ahead <laughs> i was gonna say there's times where um especially saturday night some of those post limbs it was I'm not going to say phone in, you know, because I hate that term and I do hold myself to a professional standard. But no, I mean, generally, yeah, like it, it is a um, a lot of labor of love at this level in mixed martial arts. And if you're not willing to um, put in the time, the effort, the energy, then then really you shouldn't be doing it. Uh, and there's a lot of different frames that we could attack 
work ethic on from a broadcasting standpoint, from a fighting standpoint, from a, a promotional standpoint. Um, but I do, I do believe that there is a high level of work ethic from 98% of anybody that's involved with a flex type production, you know, and um, that's why it's one of the best organizations on that side of the country, you know? Yeah. You, you had to think for a second which side of the country you're on. I could see my man's just sitting all over the country. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, n- nonetheless, I, and it's something that I, I always, I always harken back to my martial arts training. Like that's where I got it from. Not that my my parents, like my father's a very hard worker, and I got a lot of lessons from working, watching how he worked and everything. Um, you know, at sixty, what, what was he? What was he when he retired? At sixty-six years old, he was teaching part-time at a college. He was doing side work as a CPA. He was working as a, um, he was working as the controller of a non-for-profit that we'll probably be working with Flex in the future. We'll get more on that in a little bit later. Um, all while pursuing his doctorate at wow. 65 years old. And then he retired by going from working as the controller full-time to teaching at the college full-time. <laughs> Like that, that's not really retirement. That's not really retirement. That's crazy. Yeah, that's not but, a retirement. <laughs> yeah. That, like my work ethic started there and then was complimented by martial arts and martial arts really brought it out of me because I'll be the first to admit I was never the guy who was physically talented at anything. Like I, all the skill I have in martial arts, I worked for every little bit of it. My younger brother, he's that guy who just has all the athletic gifts and I got none of it. So I had to work to get as good as I am. So where did your work ethic come from? Well, a lot of it stems from failure. A lot of it stems from, you know, I don't want to fail. And I've experienced a lot of setbacks that have, you know, shown me, okay, here's um, an opportunity for you to push through or give up. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want to become the UFC's lead play-by-play? You know, it's a long journey. And it's one that's completely littered with failure. And it's nonlinear. And you're going to have to deal with uh, spirit airlines for a while you know what i mean it's <laughs> um no like i think it's it, it boils down to just goal setting and a, a dedication to this pathway because you know majoring in finance and not having a background in sports broadcasting or or an education in it has put me in my opinion behind the curve behind where i could be um, and so I'm always chasing that ghost of, okay, if, th- if I went and pursued a traditional education and had those reps and was, was making those connections and networking while I was in my undergrad, where would I be? So I'm always chasing where I think that, that line is. Um, but no, I, I think work ethic just boils down to, at least for me, not wanting to fail, not wanting to uh, look around and, and be disappointed with what I'm doing or what I've created or the lack thereof so i mean that's maybe not the greatest reason (laughs) failure in and of itself is a motivator exactly yeah you know because for me especially with the platform like i've got a very public career and i get slammed anytime something doesn't go my way i got dozens of people last night reminding me that gabe silva knocked me out (laughs) you know what i mean even though that wasn't in my opinion that's hey i won that week i was playing with house money it doesn't really matter um but it's 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 another thing to consider that um isn't something that i had in mind three years ago when i started this is oh there is a lot of people that don't want me to succeed which is more fuel in the fire of yeah i'm gonna go succeed you know yeah, and I mean, part part of that is just I think the internet as a whole, unfortunately, is people have That's a lot. Terrible. 
Yeah, people have, have a lot more fun talking junk to somebody than they do pumping somebody up, um, which yeah. I, I don't quite understand. I, I, I've always found it a lot more fun to celebrate my friend's successes. I mean, I, I think the proof is in the pudding in, in our friendship. You know, I, the, the, the times that I watched the, you know, the, the footage for you of you sparring and telling you what you did well and so forth. And, you know, here's some things that I see or watching Gabe's footage for you or even just the advice I gave you the, the night before the fight. Uh, like, mm. I think it's much, I think, you know, the old adage about you get much, many, many, way more flies with honey. I just, <laughs> I think yeah. life's a lot of what you, you get a lot of reflected back to you, what you give out in the world. And, um, you know, I, that's why I work hard. That's why I try to be positive because I like it when people work hard for me and I like it when, uh, when people are positive back at me. And that, that's one thing, like I said, I think you and I have always connected on, on the, those two regards. Though you like to bust some chops, I, I do too. I grew up in locker rooms. It just is. It's, it's yeah. one of those things, I, you know, I, I know that you, you came from a big sporting college and so forth. So, you know, when, when you grow up around locker rooms enough, busting chops is just what you do. Um, but yeah. it, it, it's come, it comes from a place of love. It doesn't come from a place of, of, of diminishment. Um, you know, it, it's not like, uh, you know, it, it's it's not tearing you down. It's putting it's, a smile back in your face to... to Intentionality. I mean, it's all about intentionality. You know, is it humor oriented? Are you really trying to be disparaging and insulting? Like I've got very thick skin um, for a lot of things. But when I can tell that someone's like really insulting for no reason, I'm like, what are you doing? You know, yeah. um, but no, I think work ethic is one of those things where in, in life you get to control uh, your work ethic. You get to control how much you're putting into something or how uh, dedicated you are to achieving whatever goal you want. There's not, sometimes in life, there's not a lot that you can control. Shit, there's a lot of external factors that can really hinder or or promote success. Um, but when it boils down to like your individual contribution, your work ethic, your um, tenacity, that's on your shoulders. And I love how there is that that reality of I'm either going to succeed or fail by virtue of what I'm putting into this. And there's no excuses in that frame of mind. There's no excuses. It's, I didn't do enough. Okay. You know? I think you hit the nail on the head a, a few moments ago when you said, talked about success being nonlinear. And so many people mm -hmm. expect, well, I'm going to try this hard, so I'm going to get this level of success. Not understanding that that's, mm, you, you're going to trip on your shoelaces a bunch of times before you get to that level of success. And, you know, it's one of the things that I love about like kids martial arts, because kids get the opportunity to learn this early. And like mm -hmm. I have some kids in my school where, you know, you've seen these kids, I've seen these kids go through crazy things. And, you know, I, I, I've talked about it before. She's been a guest on my podcast before, actually, little Lily from my school. Uh, Lily uh, is one of my like stud kids. She's awesome. Um, take this in the spirit of what it's intended. Little 70 pound Lily would give you a run for your money because she's just that good at martial arts. Um, and she was at a major, a minor league baseball game on, on Long Island here, was sitting out in right field, a foul ball gets hit, hits her right in the mouth. She not breaks both pallets and loses five adult teeth at 11 years old, 10, 11 years old. And this mm. girl comes back from that to now going and doing tournaments again. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, she has great parents and she comes from a great family. But that little girl, she's, she's got the work ethic component. She's yeah, and she could have, at any point, she could have let that sink her, you know, and just kind of give up and, and, and give in. Oh, I'm not, you know, going to be able to get back to martial arts. I can't, you know, how can I? 
you know? And I think that there's a lot of people that would have maybe even enabled that to where they're like, oh yeah, it's not responsible. It's not smart. You know, we've got to be cognizant and, um, you know, no, I mean, you gotta be tough. You want something, you don't get back in there. Don't let anything stop you, you know? And so I think that she's a perfect example. Yeah. Of, uh, of work ethic of not, not letting obstacles be in your way. An obstacle, listen, an obstacle is something that exists purely for you to scale and get over. That's why it's called an obstacle. That's why it's not called, you know, impossible. And even impossible is not impossible. <laughs> exactly. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Well, Ben, I've always, I've always admired your preparation. I always like it when I, when I see someone working as hard as me. Um, you know, it's one, one of the things that I loved about the flex promotion when I first started working with them and I started working with TJ. It always amazed me that as much homework as I had done in the fighters, TJ seemed to know every fighter. And I'm like, how, how does he know? all these guys like it was mind boggling to me um and now when he stepped out of that role and you stepped into that role having him replaced by somebody with i don't know if you can have a greater work ethic than tj ragusa i'm not sure it's possible to be honest and that's not a, that's not a shot on you that is simply a compliment is, to TJ a ragusa. yeah he's yeah. a different beast that you know I loved, and I think I speak for the both of us when I say, you know, I love TJ Ragusa, and I, I, I would love to have had him on an episode of my show. He and I have done flex fights recaps together, but nailing that guy down for an hour is impossible. impossible. And it's just a testament to how hard he's working. I'll text him Tuesday, seven o'clock in the morning. I'll get an answer Wednesday at eleven o'clock at night. Sorry, man, it's not that I didn't see it. I just had all this other stuff. But he'll get back to me. <laughs> it's because I know yeah. how many plates he's spinning on a daily basis. Um, but to see someone come in with a similar work ethic to him, and like I've said it before, and I'll say it again, I I look over at your computer screen when the fighters are walking out before you kick it to me, and you've got a paragraph written about every fighter, a story, their story, how you're going to tell it, um, and you do a great job of getting it out of them and communicating it to them, uh, to the crowd, I should say, um, and I, I think that's one of the things that why you and I get along so well, and why we work so so well as a team together, is because I have similar preparation for their skills and so forth. And uh, it's one of the things that makes magic happen to flex. It's care, you know, at, at the bottom line, it's care for the fighters. It's uh, it's a passion for their careers and the risk that they're taking by stepping in there. You know, one, one of the things that I've always tried to maintain as the play by play is like, if I'm not making your, if I'm not contributing and making your moment as big as it possibly can be, I shouldn't be there. You know, I shouldn't have the privilege to, call your action you know i see a lot of regional guys that and this and this is why the post limbs of saturday are really it's really frustrating for me because you know that's a period and those were fights where um you know it was fun we were joking having a good time but next day i wake up and reflect and i go man i really i really fucked up those last 10 fights and when those people watch those fights back they're gonna be like what the hell are the commentators talking about you know, and that's it's something I consciously try to avoid, hence the preparation, hence the outlining and framing of a lot of the the stories. And when people get in there, because I can stick to this, you know, um, they're dealing with adversity. And, and then when they do get a win or when Kobe Bowen uh, from Barbados finally wins in the octagon, that moment is, is uplifted because of what we're doing. Um, we're not detracting from it. And sometimes, yeah, last on Saturday, I'm like, ah, fuck, I feel like I'm detracting. But overall, yeah, you know, it's it's for the fighters. And if a broadcaster doesn't realize it, then they shouldn't be in the booth. Yeah, I mean, I, I've heard some broadcasts of some fight promotions in the past, and um, they would have been lucky to have what was not our A game in those post limbs. Because, you know, what, 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 what is their A game would have been us basically catatonic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, for I, sure. I, 
I watched one of my teammates had fought a fighter who was fighting in flex. So I'm like, let me, let me watch the video of this. And I'm not going to talk about the promotion because I don't want to put him down. But listening to the broadcast, I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like this yeah. commentator, I'm like, like, if this is the best they got, I feel terrible. Like, I almost <laughs> want to volunteer just to jump in because it was awful. And so even if you think we didn't give our A game in that in that uh, the, those last nine fights, you know, I'd say our, our if that was our B or C game, I'd still say it was better than a great many people. And uh, there were still some great fights for us to get really pumped and excited about. Um, but sure. with Flex Fights 28 in the rear view, anything else you want to mention from the night or anything you got coming up that you wanted to talk about? Um, Because you always I mean, have something coming up, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I do. I'm like, how much do I want to talk about, I suppose? Um, I don't know. I mean, Fight Pass working November 17th, 18th. I've got Uriah Faber's show and Anthony Pettis' gig. Back-to-back nights. I'll be in San Fran on the 18th and then Milwaukee on the 19th. So... Doing that again is going to, it was hard the last time I did that. I think it was uh, September. We had the same back to back where I did uh, LA and then to Indiana the next day. That was challenging, James. Two yeah. fight weeks in one for two different orgs. Uh, it was hard. In, in two different time zones, no less. In two different time zones. I got in. I, I had a half past midnight flight out of LAX. I got to Indiana. Um, I don't think about seven in the morning. I slept for about four hours, woke up, It'd be 90 minutes before the card started jetted to the venue get you know saw everybody met sat down wrote my open memorized my open and yeah it was uh we did it there was no ac in indiana as well it was me Bilal oh. muhammad and uh, jason anik and we were sweating before the first fight even started dude it was terrible <laughs> well, the, the, uh, the question i'm sure all the public is wondering is how many turtlenecks were you wearing at that show oh i can't say i can't it's a mystery it is simply a mystery. We'll never know. <laughs> yeah. so I'd have to imagine your highlight of the night from, from uh, this past weekend was uh, me breaking out my Halloween costume of Ben the Bane Davis. It, <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the most singularly cool things I think that anyone's done for me uh, in the last three years. That was that was a really funny uh, moment. I appreciated that greatly, man. And um you know it was one of those things right the more i thought about that the more i was like yeah this is why i, I really like doing these flex shows is because the people are you know you can't find better people and i like i like i've said many times i've never found a better color commentator yet <laughs> much appreciated my man I, and i know you're trying because you're, you're working every show you possibly I, can so if, no one's got more experience focus. with color <laughs> it's not my focus but <laughs> no one's got more experience with other color commentators than you so when you say it i certainly appreciate it all right ben i think that could bring us to a close my man this is anything else you wanted to talk about bring up uh, any other thoughts that you have for the people viewing this Nah, just that they got to tune in to Sensei's Weekly Mindset next week. That's all. All right, man. Well, again, guys, if you learn nothing else from, from me and Ben today, learn the value of hard work. The fighters showed it in the cage. I think we showed it in the broadcast. I think TJ and Chris and all the rest of the behind-the-scenes staff showed it in terms of, of just getting us to that night and what we were able to put forth. I think every flex show is just an epitome of what, of what hard work can do, for sure. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. Absolutely. So. Now, to find Ben Davis, where do we find you, Ben? At Ben the Bane Davis on all platforms, um, Instagram, Twitter. Twitter is obviously the main one. That's probably the one where I'm most active. So I'd suggest starting off there. All right, perfect. Well, guys, that's all I have for you guys this week. As always, you can email me at senseileonelli at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook. I'm Sensei James Leonelli. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Sensei underscore Leonelli. 
everywhere I'm on the internet is at my link tree, linktr.ee slash Sensei Leonelli. You can find everything about Flex Fights, including where you can watch back the wonderful broadcast that Ben and I did this past weekend. Uh, that's linked on my link tree. Uh, all our sponsors and everything else. Find my school online, tskSmithtown.com. Facebook, facebook.com slash Tiger Shulman Smithtown. Twitter and Instagram at tsma underscore Smithtown. Other than that, my friends, until next time, invest in yourselves. I'll see you guys on the mat.